0: All right, and we are back once again for another edition of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. I am your host, Lee Grant, and this is Kevin Pendergrass, my partner in crime, my compatriot, my comrade, my buddy, my pal, and I am so happy to say that our guest tonight is a person that we have wanted to have on this podcast for a while, and she has finally been able to carve out some time to join us. We have Sister Sally Gary with us. Sally is a noted author and an educator. She's originally from Wichita Falls, Texas, and lives in Dallas with her wife, Karen, and their dappled dachshund, Rudy. She's the author of two books, Loves God, Likes Girls, released in 2013, and affirming her most recent work, A Memoir of Faith, Sexuality, and Staying in the Church. Uh, Sally holds a bachelor's and master's degree in communication from Abilene Christian University, as well as a doctor of jurisprudence from Texas Tech University School of Law. Sally in the past has coached high school and college speech and debate and worked as a civil trial attorney and spent 10 years teaching communication at ACU. Sally's a teacher at heart and most of all, Sally is dedicated to serving queer youth and helping them know that they are loved and that they belong everywhere. She also um, manages and runs Centerpiece, I believe, and is active in that, which is a ministry outreach for queer youth. Sally, we are thrilled to have you on to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Oh, I am thrilled to be here, Lee. Thank you. And Kevin, uh, this is exciting to get to talk to you guys. You're doing good work.
0: Well, thank you. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, we, we are super excited, as Lee has already said, to have you on. And Sally and I, we had a great conversation earlier today for about two hours. I think I talked an hour and 55 minutes of that. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, your not, MO, that's your well, MO, baby. your Well, I was going to say, that's not going to surprise our audience at all. But I said, Sally, I said, tonight, don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to talk as much. Uh, and then Lee has already joked and said, yeah, he probably is. But um, I, this is a conversation that... There's probably going to be more people listen to this, perhaps, than any of our other podcasts, uh, at least up till this point, because of the topic, because of the the seriousness of the topic. Uh, the, it, it's a topic that oftentimes isn't discussed, or when it is discussed, it's discussed in such a polarizing manner that it really only serves to validate within echo chambers. And that's something that we try to get away from in any topic that we discuss we have uh, all sorts of different discussions regarding various topics and we invite guests who we agree with who we don't agree with who we're not sure if we agree with because we believe in having open honest and vulnerable conversation and this was a topic the topic of faith and sexuality a topic that we really wanted to discuss but finding the right person to discuss this topic that That's hard to do, <laughs> and when we started to research you, Sally, we knew that you would be the absolutely perfect person to come on this podcast and discuss this with us. You're, you're such a grace-centered individual. You are the least antagonistic person I think I've ever met because I have seen you in several different discussions, in several different lectures, and... Uh, it, it was it literally blew my mind. The fruit of the spirit that you were bearing in your discussions, uh, whether someone agrees or disagrees with your ultimate conclusions was just really mind boggling to me. And I thought that's that's who we need to have on our podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. And and I just want to start with having you spend a few minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself and to if you will define faith and sexuality and why that has become such an important topic to you personally.
1: Mm. Thank you, Kevin. Um, you know, giving me free reign like that, I I may be able to talk as long as you are longer. So that, that's kind of scary. (laughs) Plus (laughs) Plus I'm old and, and there's a lot to tell when I talk about myself. Um, Goodness, I, I grew up in the uh, 60s and 70s. I grew up in Wichita Falls, as Lee mentioned earlier, and uh, uh, mom and dad uh, who worked in civil service and mom who was an elementary teacher. Uh, so, you know, in, in so many ways, I had a, a very idyllic uh, childhood childhood. Uh, Back in the 60s when you could walk to school and um, it it just was a a different time in many ways. And we like to uh, think very nostalgically uh, on those times, but there were also hard things during those times, too. I, I'm very blessed that my mom and dad uh, were churchgoers. I grew up in the 10th and Broad Church of Christ in Wichita Falls. Uh, I knew every nook and cranny of that building by the time I was probably in the first grade. Um, I grew up being very intentionally taught that God was the center of everything that we did, uh, that... Uh, Jesus was the most important person in our lives, and I'm so, so grateful uh, for all of those men and women in my church family who taught me about the love of Christ, who uh, showed me the love of Christ constantly, uh, we were, as we like to say in our tribe, there every time the doors were open, and that meant three times a week, uh, and then as I got older, you know, in, in youth group and, and uh, being involved in every, every uh, part of church. My parents taught Sunday school. My father was a deacon, and so there was just nothing that we weren't a part of. Uh, my parents were the parents that you call anytime you need anything done at church. They're that uh you know the eighty twenty percent rule they're the yeah. they're the twenty percent and so that's how I grew up and i I consider that uh the greatest blessing of my life that there's never been a time that I didn't know who Jesus was.
0: Well, so, I can definitely resonate with what you're saying about being there and growing up. It really echoes my mm-hmm. experience growing up as well.
1: That's uh, that's uh, good to know, Lee. Um, where did you grow up, by the way?
0: In Ringling, in Ringling, Oklahoma, a little town. Yeah, You know Ringling. I yeah. know
1: Ringling uh, yeah. because my, my cousins uh, grew up in Paul's Valley. And so uh, Ringling, you Paul's through. Valley, uh, uh, what, what, I can't even think of, of Lindsay and Ardmore yep. mm-hmm. and all of all of those good little Oklahoma spots.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Ringling, and like you, we were there every time the doors were open. So it's it's almost like you're telling my story, but please yeah. continue.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people will be able to resonate because, you know, the three of us grew up in church homes, grew up with uh, especially I just think back to my childhood, and I mean, I still to this day have a phenomenal relationship with my mom and dad. Have just great parents. Was all I was always taught to love God, always mm-hmm. taught to love Jesus. And some of my best memories growing up as a kid. You you were talking about it, you knew every nook and cranny of your church building. We used to play hide and seek, and we would get in the air duct vents. And I mean, it was <laughs> was awesome. We used to have have the best times. I mean, oh, I, I yeah. wouldn't trade it for the world. And it sounds like you have uh, you know, the audience can't see you, but we can see you because we have video. We don't record video. We only record audio, but you know, you're smiling the whole time. (laughs) And I I can just tell it's bringing up a lot of good memories, uh, just thinking about your childhood and thinking about, um, going to church and being there with your family. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that was, that was more of your younger, uh, days. And so if if you will just, yeah, feel free to continue because we're, we're both, uh, both very interested.
1: I, uh, I went on to uh, Abilene Christian and, you know, did, did all the, the things that students do on campus, just had a, had a wonderful time uh, as a, a college student, um, made friends easily, you know, I could be the life of the party. Um, did I was in the band. I was a, a good little band nerd all through high school and and college. What,
2: what instrument did you play?
1: I played the clarinet. All right.
2: Yes, awesome. Lee Lee's a drummer.
1: Well, listen, Lee, I need to come take some more lessons because I I had a midlife crisis uh, about ten years ago. And bought a, a drum kit for the first time. I had wanted to play when I was a kid, but my mom said the, the drums are too loud. You you need something that's that's a little calmer. And, and so I didn't learn to play until uh, about 10 years ago, but I absolutely love it. I'm no good, but oh, I love it. So I'm anxious to hear you play.
0: Well, I tell you what, we'll get together sometime and we'll make it happen. We can do
1: that. That'll
3: be good. Now watch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it it was in college that for the for the first time things began to really click uh, for me about my sexuality, and I began to realize that there was a deeper. Draw for me to to women uh, than just friendship. Um, I began to realize that the feelings I had for my best friend in college at the time went much deeper than friendship, and I had absolutely no idea what to do with that. You know, as I've gotten older and looked back, I realized that there were there were moments even before that that I had been very drawn to a girl or even have a crush on a girl in high school. But uh, I, I just never in my wildest imagination could have thought that uh, I would be attracted to women because when I was growing up uh, in the 60s, 70s, even in the 80s and, and 90s, honestly, uh, the talk Uh, about sexuality uh, that was beyond the norm of heterosexuality, Uh, there was nothing good in that conversation at all. Uh, It was uh, just the absolute worst possible thing that could happen to you. And so there was no connection for me between homosexuality, which would have been the term we would have used in the 60s and 70s, And that reflecting anything about my sexuality. Uh, Because uh, as I was often uh, overheard uh, people saying that uh, those people are just sick. Uh, And so, of course, I couldn't imagine that that would be me. But by the time I'm a junior in college and I realize that, that these feelings are beyond my control... I did not choose to feel this way, but there is a very uh, natural uh, draw, a natural longing uh, to be in deeper relationship with this this woman uh, who has absolutely no idea the depth of, of my feelings. And I certainly never shared that. I never shared that with a soul because I was on a... Uh, Christian university campus. And who am I going to tell in 1982? Yeah. Uh, Well, it's too scary. Well,
0: that would be even difficult now. And, you know, my wife and I, we've been together for, we've been together 18 years In November we'll have been married 16. And I can remember whenever we first got together, we didn't really have any romantic inclination towards one another. We had both gotten out of a previous relationship that was, you know, she had gotten out of one that was extremely codependent and I had dated someone seriously for a little while. And the most recent girlfriend that I had broken up with was just, I'm just going to say it, she's pretty much crazy. Mm. So, you know, neither one of us had any romantic inclination towards one another, but it grew into something. And at this point, neither one of us had any interest in a relationship. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, How do I tell her that I've caught feelings? How do I tell her that I have developed this attraction to her and these feelings for her? And I want to move forward and take it to the next level. And I mean, it worked out now we're married. We have four children, but I can't. I mean, that's terrifying enough from a heterosexual perspective, you know, within the realm that's fully accepted in pretty much every stripe and in every walk of life. And even now, for those that are within queer society, it's still incredibly difficult for some of them to come out of the closet, even though there's so much more support than what there ever has been. I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been for you having to navigate those waters in the 80s, Mm. whenever those support structures that exist now weren't even close to existing back then.
1: Oh no. Um, I appreciate that Lee, because it, it was, it was, it was terrifying. You know, um, there, there was nobody that I felt like I could talk to, uh, because I had friends who had either been found out Uh, to be gay, or they had shared with someone and and that had not gone well. And uh, they had lost everything. Um, I had one friend whose family just completely abandoned him, just shut off all communication with him. And uh, his father was in ministry. And and so that was just uh, a taboo in the early eighties that you did not speak of, uh, lightly. You didn't speak of at all, really, uh, except, uh, to hear condemnation and, and, um, or, or jokes at the very least there, there were really ugly jokes. So I, I didn't share that with anyone. And, um, that was, that was painful. It, it would be another 15 years before I got the, the courage or was miserable enough, uh, as is usually my, my motivation. I have to hurt badly enough to realize, you know, Sally, uh, you've been trying this on your own for a while and you just keep having the same thing happen over and over and expecting something different. And we all know what, what that's the definition to. Yeah. And so I, uh, it was at that point that I decided that I would come out to someone. Um, I had no idea what to do with this. Uh, I did not believe it was, uh, what God wanted for my life. You know, we're talking now 1995, 96. I'm in law school at the time. Uh, I had taught high school for 10 years, and you do kind of lose your mind after working with (laughs) high school kids. Uh, I love them. God bless them. If you're listening out there, I do love you. Um, But I, I went to law school at that point, and... It was there that you know I I had fallen in love with a a dear friend who again knew nothing of my feelings, and so uh, twice now I've uh, I've been feelings. Yeah, I've been drawn to someone uh, that it is overwhelming to me, and yet I don't believe that's uh, who I'm. Supposed to be. It's uh, not pleasing to God. And so I am Sally, just in, in misery trying to deal with all of that and deal with it on the inside because Sally, I dare not say that in in my world.
2: Well, th- that's what I was going to ask you. Could you explain and go, if, if you will, go into a little detail about the conversations you were having with yourself during that time? Because... Uh, clearly, it was something you you were feeling uh, it was something that at that time you believed was was wrong. Mm-hmm. How how are you harmonizing all of this? Um, oh. did, did you know, I, like, if you can just kind of explain some of the the if it's not too painful to explain just some of the conversations that you were having with yourself uh, during that time?
1: Man, I I wrote a lot about this uh, in my first book, Loves God, Likes Girls. Uh, and, and if, if you, if you look at a lot of that, um, especially as I'm coming to terms with my own sexuality, there is so much shame, uh, just the, the secrecy alone, this overwhelming paranoia that somebody's going to find out. And so you can't you can't ever let your guard down. Uh, you can't ever uh, even give a hint of, of anything because you, you are terrified if anybody finds out that that's the end of your world as you know it, that everybody will walk away. Everybody will treat you differently. Maybe my family wouldn't respond as my friend's family did, but I don't know because uh, they're, they're truly intent on what God wants for my life. And nobody at that time would even have this conversation. It was just unthinkable uh, to have a conversation about um, sexuality and and res- trying to resolve your faith. That was just unheard of. So uh, I, I begged God, I begged God to take those feelings away to uh, make me somehow different. I had no idea how I got there. I had no idea uh, why this was happening to me. I certainly didn't choose to be attracted uh, to women, uh, but that's exactly where I found myself, and yet just terrified, absolutely terrified that somebody was going to find out, and it would have uh, I, I feared it would have blown up my entire world. So uh, you push that down, and you push that down, and you push that down until I just I couldn't push it down anymore. I was miserable, and and all this time, you know, I've I've never had a time when I walked away from God. I've never had a time when I walked away from church. I was in the pew and uh, uh, a member in good standing as we would say. And in every church I was a, a part of uh, daily
2: Bible reader, <laughs>
1: uh, you know, uh, tried to be certainly uh, got that
2: sticker every Sunday.
1: You better believe it. I knew my memory verse as a kid. That's for sure. But so, oh, it, I'm sorry, it, go was, ahead. it was, it was just excruciating. It was, uh, It was the most painful time in my life. It truly was.
0: So whenever the time came that you came to terms with this and that, that inward struggle came to the point where you just couldn't deal with it anymore. It was like, I, this has got to, I've got to come out or I'm just going to end up breaking from the inside out. You might say, whenever that point came and you did come out, how did that go for you? Mm -hmm. Uh, or is that a loaded question?
1: <laughs> well, the i mean it it took a lot because I was so uh, full of shame that i I could not stand the thought um, of anybody finding out and thinking less of me because i was I was the quintessential good little church of Christ girl, and I had been i had been I had been a teacher, and um what were people going to think of me? Yeah, what were people going to think of my parents? you know sure. um the first thing I did, you know i I tried to bargain with God all the all the way, and so I sat down one night and I wrote out a letter. Uh, I wrote a letter to God and i uh, it was the first time I ever actually used the word. Uh, the only word I knew at the time uh, was homosexual because, you know, growing up in the, the 70s and 80s, the word gay uh, meant something very different than it does today. And this is a conversation I have with church folk today who are still clinging to the definition of gay as it existed in the 70s and 80s, you know, it, it uh, was ripe with promiscuity, you know, if, if you were gay, that you were just going out having sex with any and everybody, and, and that was certainly not me at all. Uh, that in no way uh, would have described me. And so it was unthinkable for me to use that word to describe myself because of what it meant at the time. Um, I I will gladly use it now to say that I am gay because it simply refers to what I know now as my sexual orientation. But there were no conversations like this. There was no information like that. There was no uh, internet, uh, there was no laptop even, uh, let alone a phone that I could just hold in my hand and scroll through and find uh, website after website after website of information about what it means to be gay. There was nothing like that. And so I was just at a loss. Uh, I remember in college going to the library, you know, the only source of information that we had. (laughs) Because I couldn't talk to anybody, I couldn't talk, and so I went to the library, and I I was very sneaky. I I searched and searched, uh, making sure nobody uh, saw where what section I was going to, and and that nobody was around when I pulled the books off the shelves, and I found a back table in the remote, you know, part of the library where there was no one because I was terrified of somebody finding out, but I was trying desperately to figure this out on my own. So of course I'm, I'm trying to just keep doing this by myself. And I write this letter to God and it was almost as though I, I didn't hear him audibly, but I did very much hear the spirit say, uh, don't want you to go through this by yourself anymore Sally you, you need to tell somebody uh, you need to tell somebody honey and so um, I didn't get very much sleep that, that night um, I missed a, a, an exam the next day and um, when you miss an exam in law school that means you you don't get credit for this. it's that one grade that one time and so I ended up having to take that again but it was it was all worth it in the end. Um, I got up the next morning and I made an appointment to go see a counselor that I had I had known from uh, ACU. I didn't know him personally but I knew his name. And he had written some books with uh, one of my favorite professors that I just loved. And so I thought, well, maybe if this man works with my professor, maybe he's a good guy too, and maybe I can trust him. And so I made an appointment, and I drove on a cold and snowy day in December of 1996, the 16th. I drove from Lubbock uh, to Dallas. The roads were icy, it was snowing. And I remember listening uh, to Amy Grant's new Christmas. It wasn't even a CD. That's how old my car was. I I had a cassette (laughs) uh, tape player and I would punch rewind over and over (laughs) listening to Breath of Heaven hold me together. Be forever near me and he was and he still is and uh, instead of running my car off the side of the road like I contemplated that day so that I wouldn't have to embarrass myself or embarrass my precious, good, faithful Church of Christ parents and um, I just kept listening to those words, and uh, I made it uh, to the office of somebody who received me like Jesus would and loved me right where I was, and fortunately, while he he didn't know uh, a lot about working with someone who was gay, he knew enough to say, come in and stay and tell me more and tell me what this has been like for you never once did he take his bible out and show me romans (laughs) one because after getting to know me he knew that i knew full well what romans one said in first corinthians six first timothy one and i knew those genesis and leviticus passages too yeah and so we didn't need to talk about that he just uh he just loved on me and invited me to come back. And so I did for, uh, several years while I was in law school. I flew once a week, uh, from Lubbock to Dallas and, uh, visited with him. And that was a, that was a painful, painful journey, but I felt better. I felt better and freer after, uh, I didn't have to keep secrets anymore.
0: You know, it's one thing to know. And I got to clear my throat because you brought me to tears whenever you were going over that. And that doesn't happen that often, but you got me. So congrats, sister, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, 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 it's good to know whenever you're a Christian, you know that you're never alone. But whenever you harbor something that is that deep and whenever it has been programmed and, and gone over and over and over again that this lifestyle is either a choice or this lifestyle is an affront to God and it's a perversion of the natural order or whatever else that's, that's commonly stated within evangelical circles and in some Christian circles, it's one thing to know that even in the midst of all that, you're not alone and that God is right there with you, but until you can share it with someone else, else, and you have that human connection with someone that, as you said, meets you like Jesus would and embraces you with those open arms and helps you navigate those waters, even though you have God in your corner, you still feel alone until you have another human being that you can navigate those waters with.
3: Yeah.
0: And how long I know for the rest of your day in law school, and I know it's a whole lot easier to fly from Lubbock to Dallas than it is to drive. I've made that drive to Lubbock and man, I thought it was going to go insane for about the last two hours, but it's, it's a rough drive. Um, but in any case, about how long did you um, continue to meet with this, with this counselor?
1: Wow. Um, you know, that's, that's a a whole other podcast in itself because (laughs) Um, in, in going there and beginning to, to talk about my life and, and to talk about my experiences and how I saw myself, um, we got into a, a lot of, of stuff with, with family. And uh, in my family, we too had kept secrets. And there were things that we had not talked about. Um, I wrote a lot about that in, in that first book, loves God, likes girls. Uh, but, um, my relationship with my father was, um, uh, goodness, um, complicated, uh, complicated is a, is a really good word. Well, um, I can
0: relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: and so I, I grew up very fearful of my dad. I grew up. Uh, feeling very distant and unloved and unwanted by my dad. And so as, as I began to talk and, and we began to uncover some things, uh, we realized there was a lot of family stuff that needed to come out and we needed to talk about. And uh, this is the second greatest blessing from my parents is that they were uh, more than willing to come and enter that process with me. And so it was uh goodness. I would say three to five years that we all worked oh, wow. together in in various combinations. Um, I went um, from law school a lot of times by myself, but a lot of times my parents would drive from Wichita Falls to Dallas, and wow. you know they're in they're in their seventies at at the time, and and so. We think that people get a certain age and, you know, it, you can't well know. These people, they were, they were in this with me for the long haul.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like they were really committed as well.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, at that time, uh, and this is what so many Christians um, believed and, and sadly uh, still believe today, is that uh, a lot of those types of issues are what makes someone gay. And so um, I bought into a lot of that and believe that if we could just repair this, this damage um, from my lack of relationship with my dad, if we could work on our relationship and, and we could recover uh, some of my lost femininity, uh, all of those things are are uh, reminiscent of what we call today reparative therapy. I didn't know that word at the time. I didn't realize that that was, was taking place, but that was what was happening. And so a lot of the family work uh, was, uh, was prompted by uh, my being gay. You know, my being gay was the catalyst to get us into a lot of much-needed work within my family
3: mm-hmm. that
1: uh, altered the dynamics in my family in ways that I could not have imagined. Uh, just amazing healing that uh, that God did in those, those spaces with my family.
2: How old were you during this time, Sally?
1: Oh, goodness. You know, I... I've always been a late bloomer uh, in a lot of ways, and I was I was in uh, in coming out too. I was goodness, I had just turned thirty five when I came out for the very first time, and so it was in it was in my late thirties, and I I just had such uh, painful but really, really sweet memories of being able to work through a lot of stuff with my dad and even with my mom because the dynamics of, of that family system were such that, that we needed a, a lot of, of work and a lot of healing. And I'm so grateful that we were able to do that uh, because it freed us. You know, it, it freed me to be able to, to love and care for my dad now. He's 91, Uh, He just moved last April uh, to Christian care uh, here in Dallas, and he lives 10 minutes uh, from my house. And so, you know, I just had dinner with him tonight, get to spend time with him. And if you had told me as a 30 year old young woman, Sally, someday you will feel completely free with your daddy, you will. Uh, you will have a relationship with your dad that you can get mad at him you can say things to him but you will feel a closeness uh, that you've never felt I would have told you mm, that sounds really sweet uh, <laughs> you'd like yeah, to right. believe you, but you you really don't know my dad you you've not lived in our house and you don't know you don't know but I'm telling you that's that's what God did so When I talk about the healing that all of that uh, experience and counseling did for me, that's the healing that I experienced uh, greatly with my relationship with with my dad and between my mom and dad and their relationship. But the thing that I realized very quickly is that the feelings that I had begged God to remove from me didn't go away. Uh, I did all of the work. Um, I continued uh, to uh, to just do everything that was asked of me in in that uh, therapy, but it it never removed those feelings of of attraction from me. That was always that was always right right below the surface.
2: What what kind of reception? at that point were you receiving because here you are in your your later 30s um, you your parents know you're going to counseling I'm assuming at that point other people knew you started telling other people what what was the response what kind of reception did you receive from your friends from your church from your acquaintances H- at that point how did how did things go and what was your at that point reaction? to telling people as well. What was it? This is what I'm struggling with. I need to overcome it. This is who I am. I need to accept it and just live a celibate life. What was going through your mind at that point and how did other people respond?
1: When, when I first came out to anybody, first of all, I was, I was still terrified. Uh, I mean, heart racing, palms sweating, mouth dry, Please, uh, I, I would have rather you take me uh, to get a root canal than <laughs> than go through having to tell somebody else that I love. And so, when when people have to come out to people that they they love, and and it's very important to them how they're going to respond, and they're concerned that they might not receive them well. It takes. A tremendous amount of courage and energy and it is exhausting work to have to do that over and over and over and over so that you couldn't
2: post you couldn't post it on facebook at that time and say okay now the world knows and
1: no (laughs) no uh maybe myspace wasn't that uh, uh, that That was the thing Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: myspace
1: But it it still took me a while. You know, I came out to this this counselor. I came out to my parents. I came out uh, to a dear friend. I flew. uh, I flew to where he lived and it took me literally all day long. I I told him I needed to talk to him about something important. And so he, he kept taking me to places that uh, he thought I would feel safe to open up to him. And it literally took me all day uh, before I could tell him. And I, I just shook in those moments. But every time I did that, it got easier. But it wasn't until I got a call... Um, From A.C.U. that the debate coach there had uh, had resigned, and they were looking for someone to take that spot. And I thought, okay, okay, gonna have here we go. (laughs) Yes, Uh, because uh, God was already working uh, in me to bring me to a place of realizing, you know what, Sally, Uh, if if this has been a a struggle and I did, I did view it as a struggle at that time. And certainly the whole process of coming to terms and understanding and the need for conversation, uh, that, that was indeed a struggle. Um, but I could hear him say there, there are others who need to hear this too. And we need to have this conversation. Um, that's right. God, we do but uh, that, that would not be me. Uh, I, I will continue practicing law and I'll make a lot of money and I'll give to some kind of ministry. Surely there's a ministry out there, right? And so I began to search and there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing in churches of Christ. I looked for my tribe because I'm thinking about the little girl who's growing up in a pew uh, who loves Jesus, who knows her memory verse. And she's got this, this thing about her life that she dare not speak. And she has nobody to talk to. And so that began to eat at me. And so I, I told God, okay, if, if this is what you're calling me to do, then don't let that zeal die. Just make it even stronger. And he did. He he made it so strong that I'm sure I was I was I, I have been and can still be very obnoxious in talking about centerpiece and, <laughs> and trying to get that going. But I I uh, went to this favorite professor that I spoke of earlier, and uh, he was the one who had called and asked if I would be interested in the job. And I I said, OK, there are some things you need to know. And at that point, I I did say this, this is who I am. This is a a part of me. And yet I still very much uh, believed that um, I was called to a life of celibacy. And uh, that was in 2001. And so that conversation led to a conversation with the department chair and on up the administrative ladder uh, until everyone was, was okay with uh, me coming there um, as a woman who is uh, attracted to other women, who is committed to a life of celibacy, and who wants to begin a ministry. Uh, don't know what that looks like yet, but uh, there is a need for this ministry. And so uh, that's how I, I came to ACU, and I am so incredibly grateful uh, for the leadership at that time, um, for their realization that this was something that we had neglected to talk about in churches. Uh, thank God for Royce Money, that he hired me, and he allowed me uh, to share my story in chapel in 2003, and it was at that point that i began telling more and more people because uh, i was terrified to do that on march 26th of 2003 not that i remember these dates or anything um,
2: <laughs> i can't i can't imagine uh, you know you and i we were talking about this earlier today on the phone and you, you were talking about how nervous you were I, I couldn't i can't even imagine how that must have, have felt i mean so, just sometimes public speaking in of itself can be a uh, scary thing um, when you're talking about something controversial, but when you're talking about something that's personal, yeah, that personal, and you're going to be giving this speech, not knowing how it's going to be received that, that must have taken a lot to do that.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it truly was, uh, almost overwhelming to me. Um, I don't know that I had full-blown panic attacks, but uh, they were close. Uh, But my mama and daddy were sitting on the front row. And so all I had to do was look at them, and um, I was okay.
0: Having that support from your parents is not a privilege that many queer youth get, especially within the Churches of Christ.
1: That's exactly right
0: and it's tragic a young man that that i went to church with whenever i was in school in dallas and we went to church at a um congregation it was a one cup congregation in the metroplex area um whenever he drummed up the courage to come out to his parents they gave him 20 minutes to leave the house
1: oh my goodness
0: yeah oh Um, my goodness it was it was a bad deal and We had already moved back to Oklahoma and I don't even think he had my, I don't think he had my new number, but you know, he could have called me. I would have come and got him. And it was, it was a terrible moment, but for you to have that support, that's absolutely, that is huge. And I would imagine that that probably had a large role to play in that motivation behind starting centerpiece.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: When was it? Because at, at this point in your life, things are starting to come together. You're feeling the tug of the spirit. You're, you're hearing God speak to you and say that this is something that, that needs to happen. How did Centerpiece come about? Um, when did you start that? When did that become, when did that, that idea and that prompting of the spirit begin to take shape and mm-hmm. begin to manifest itself?
1: Wow. How long do we have, Lee?
0: Sister, we got all the time you want. This is our podcast. We can go however long you want to go. Well,
1: Twelve
2: more hours, and then we'll have to move to episode two. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so <laughs> oh that's two.
1: that's scary. Uh people yeah, yeah. Um we
2: always say people have a pause button. So if they, you know, that's, <laughs> that's people true. say you're going too long, you can always pause it and come back. <laughs> no, please, please tell us, because I think this is, uh, li- listening to you is so easy. First of all, I'll just tell you that. Well, Lee and I are both um, locked in. <laughs> We're very like, you're a great storyteller. I'm like, all right, tell me more. What happens next? So um, <laughs> yeah, fine. so like Lee, like Lee was saying, I mean, here you, here you are now, you've come out, you come out. you're teaching you have the support of the faculty. Um, it seems you you have the support of your family. And at this point, you have accepted the fact you're gay, and you also are convicted that you need to live a celibate life, but that you're called to minister to other individuals who are struggling, well, I won't use the word struggle, but who, who may be facing the same struggles that, that you faced and have yeah. the same questions you faced, and who might not be having uh, the same support that that you had, or yes. perhaps even being able to provide more support than you did at a younger age instead of having to wait until because how how old were you um, at this point at Abilene?
1: I had just turned forty. Oh. So you're young, young oh, exactly. I mean you were a kid. Exactly. <laughs> Four oh to be forty again. Yes.
2: Um, So you weren't, you know, so this is this isn't a 15 or 16 year old who's finding support. This is a 40 year old woman who can say, now I'm really coming out to the world. And so this is a very long journey. So what about all of those times? Because you you brought up uh, listening to, to the song on the radio around Christmas time and having thoughts about just, you know, let me just let me just take the wrong turn here. Yeah, and let me just end everything right here and right now. And unfortunately, a lot of people do make that decision. They 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 don't have uh, the thoughts or the hope that no, maybe there's a there's another way. Maybe there's a different direction I can go here. And so so here you are, forty, and you're just now able to find free, which is a, which is a success story in one sense, but it's also a sad story in another that. You know, you're well into your adulthood before yeah. you can tell the before you can be who you are, um, at least publicly with that. And I want to emphasize to the audience too: you're not at this point in time encouraging to to act upon your feelings. This is just you simply no. saying these are my feelings. <laughs> I'm just exactly. accepting what what they are. Exactly. Um, and for for years, Sally, I was taught. That and, and I, I do think that this is changing in large part in Christianity and including the churches of Christ, that being gay is not a choice. Because yeah. I was taught it was. I, I was taught that anyone who's gay, that's their Same. choice, that yeah. all they have to do is just turn it off. And it's 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 nothing that they're really feeling inside. It's it's just simply a choice they're waking up and making every day. Now there's been enough data enough research to know and I think most Christians that I now currently know they will accept the fact that no you're, being gay is not a choice. <laughs> this is this is just who you are. And so I feel like there has been a positive shift from that perspective whereas perhaps in times past there were there was a lot more be, uh, a lot more people believing that it wasn't a choice, uh, where, or excuse me, that it was a choice. Whereas now more people are accepting the fact. Well, no, this is this. If, if you're gay, you're gay. That's that's not a choice. Right. Um, so, with that said, when did you start Centerpiece? And tell us a little bit about exactly what that is for our audience.
1: Yeah, Centerpiece uh, grew out of my own realization that I, I spoke of earlier that that there was a need. You know, uh, if there's me, uh, there are other people who who need to know the same thing. Name, namely, that that God loves us just as we are. Uh, that God's love is unconditional, and um, there's no need for the the shame and the secrecy that has plagued our churches, and and quite frankly, has driven. So many of my LGBTQ plus siblings away from God and from the church, from anything uh, that resembles Christianity. And so I, I knew that we had to do something. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, so when I was in Abilene, uh, I was teaching at Abilene Christian um uh, I was worshiping at the Highland Church of Christ in Abilene and I uh, had shared my story uh, in chapel uh, at ACU and uh, folks from church, uh, faculty members uh, were present in that chapel talk as well and, and uh, were praying for me uh, that day. They knew ahead of time and so they, they made a point to be there and support And so I invited, uh, after that, uh, a couple of my elders from Highland approached me and said, how can we help? And I said, let's put a team of people together that will begin to investigate what a ministry might look like. And so for about a year and a half, there were seven of us, Uh, some folks that I taught with, uh, some folks that I went to church with, uh, some of my shepherds. And we all got together um, about once a month and talked about everything from what kind of board of directors we wanted to crafting bylaws, and we became a 501c3 nonprofit. And um, we talked about deeper things like who this ministry would really serve. And we were adamant about uh, serving the entire uh, LGBTQ plus population, um, not just people who had the same view that I did uh, uh, at that time of, of feeling called to a life of celibacy, but people who were in relationships, uh, people who uh, had no room in their lives for for God, uh, that they too were a part of the the target audience that we wanted to call because. As researcher Andrew Marin found out years later, eighty-six uh, percent of the LGBTQ plus population has grown up with deeply religious roots—not uh, just Easter and Christmas, really? and Sunday mornings, huh. but uh, I mean, three times a week, just like us, just like oh, our that's church experience. Wild, yeah.
0: Eighty-six percent, yeah.
1: And we've known that since. Holy smokes. That came out in a book called Us Versus Us. Uh, Andrew Marin started the Marin Foundation back in that first decade of of this century. And um, he wrote a book called Love is an Orientation. And it opened a lot of people's hearts, uh, especially in uh, more mainline uh, Protestant churches. Uh, And he was... Uh, the Marin Foundation was a bridge building organization between LGBTQ plus folks and mainline churches, especially. And so he would have these conversations um, and just did a, a tremendous amount of good in creating safe spaces in, in those Protestant churches. And so I, I looked a lot at, at his work as as we were uh, in those early days of centerpiece, but after a year and a half of bringing that group together that says, we're going to, we're going to serve everyone and we're going to serve families. We're going to serve parents and help parents better understand how to love their children so that nobody ever even imagines, even thinks for a moment that it would be God's call on your life to abandon your children. Uh, where, I, I I don't even get me started on that uh, because that is that is not the way of a father who loves us uh, without end. So we wanted to share that message and we wanted to help churches become safe places because you can't tell LGBTQ plus folks no, don't give up on your faith. Yes, you can be gay and Christian and not help the churches that they're going to come into realize uh, we do need to be more inclusive. We do need to find a place at the table because this is Christ's table, not ours.
0: And that's an extremely important distinction because we so often take ownership of that table. And we claim that these are the parameters by which one can find a seat at this table. You have to check each of these boxes. And unless you meet these requisites of X, Y, Z, or ABC, or whatever else, well then there is no seat at this table for you. And it does no good to say or to, or to produce an inclusive message through ministry to these, these young people that desperately need a safe space and that desperately need to hear this message that you can retain your faith and you can be accepted in God's eyes just as you are for who you are. It does no good to give them that message when they will darken the door of a church and they're going to hear that same message that that we have heard for so long,
3: exactly. that
0: this is a uh, a. What, what's the word, a perversion of the natural order, that this is a horrible thing and it's unnatural and it's a choice. And, you know, earlier, you know, you, Kevin, you had said that, you know, you always believe that this was a choice and this is what you were taught. And this, this, that's the same thing I was taught. And that's the same mindset I had for a long time until a friend of mine who was gay, we were having this conversation. And he said, well, when did you decide that you were straight? <laughs>
3: exactly. And I just
0: looked at him and I was like, what do you mean? He said, when did you make the choice that you were going to be attracted to the opposite sex?
3: Right.
0: And I said, I never made that choice. I said, that's just who I am. And he looked at me and said, exactly. And I said, (laughs) Holy crap, dude, are you
2: serious? (laughs) Wow.
0: It blew my mind. It was a simple conversation, but you're right. I mean, there's there's such a need for that and to be able to work with churches. So that's a that's an interesting angle that Centerpiece has taken.
2: Yeah, and the the humility, Sally, that you bring to the table. And it's it's such you you disarm people. Um, <laughs> the, the way that you communicate is so disarming. I you know, I don't feel threatened to, in talking to you in any way, um, even if I was Kevin 2012, 2013. I don't know. I may feel a little threatened back then. But I but the, the way that your demeanor is the sincerity you know what you're saying is not just lip service it's because because i know people who have who have worked with you and who have been a part of centerpiece and dallas james we had him on our program about five or six months ago and he was one of the first ones who who brought you to uh who brought you up. He said, Hey, you, you need to check out uh, Sally Gary, because she's just, she's a really incredible person. And that's really when I started to do some research on you. And I thought, wow, this, this woman is incredible. And what you're doing there at centerpiece is awesome. And it's so sad to hear different stories because Dallas shared his story. And here he was, he was a, a, a young man who was gay. He was working with the youth. He was in his early twenties and at at a particular church. And he was just volunteering, working with the church. He wasn't uh, at that, you know, he wasn't dating a, a, another man. He wasn't acting on his feelings or anything of that nature. He had just accepted the fact that he was gay mm-hmm. and he was, he was not trying to press this. He wasn't going, you know, every Sunday to church to try to get people to see things his way or anything like that. In fact, right. he said he went above and beyond to try to be I think the word he used was a super Christian because he said he had to feel like he had to make up for this so-called deficit in his life. And he said that he was doing everything he could. And so he never told anyone he was gay. And then finally, some parents asked, are you gay? And of course, he was honest with them and said, yes, I am gay, but I'm not dating any anybody. I'm not acting on it. This is I, I am gay, though. And uh, they told him they didn't want him to work with with their children and the mm. youth anymore.
1: Yeah, and yeah, that's
2: so I, I, sad. I, yeah, I mean, in those stories, I'm sure you, they're they're far more common than they are uncommon.
1: Unfortunately, and you, you, yes,
2: yeah, and and to to feel not only like you're having, and especially in Dallas situation, feeling to like you have to go above and beyond uh. to be a better Christian, so that you're making up for something in your life uh, that you feel like. Is wrong, yeah, and and feeling that heavy burden everywhere you go, yeah, and it's it's just so sad. But I know that you had a huge impact, a positive impact on him, feeling like he was loved, feeling like he's cared about,
1: yeah. and that's
2: really what I appreciate about you because you don't say in order to come to centerpiece and in order to to be a part of what we're doing, in order to receive um, encouragement and love and to have all these tools available to you, you don't say, well, but you have to agree with this, 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 you, you meet people where they're at and regardless of what they believe and regardless of what they've done or what they're currently doing, you love them where they're at and you work with anyone where they're at and as well as their families as well, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, that's, that's just a, a really big mantra for us. Um, you know, we we have a, a tagline under our logo of a, a place to belong, in, and that's a, a place at the table. Uh, and, and I do not get to uh, make out the invitation list. Uh, Jesus makes out the invitation list. And so yeah. no matter where you are, no matter uh, where you come from, no matter what your table manners are, um, you get to come <laughs> to the table. So, uh, uh, you know, I think in in going back thinking earlier um about the influence of my parents and I, I write a lot about this in uh my new book Affirming uh and I talk a lot about the spiritual heritage of hospitality that I learned from my my parents uh, and their well, taking people in um, that that didn't fit, uh, that didn't have anywhere else to go. And so that's been a huge part of of my um, it's, it's it's a huge part of my faith, and my expression of my Christianity is uh, showing hospitality. If if you go through the Gospels, uh, you see over and over Jesus welcoming people that nobody else wanted to have anything to do with. Mm-hmm. That is the, the essence of the Gospel to me, um, is that uh, people are loved by Jesus that nobody else wants to give the time of day. And so I think that has to always drive what we do as as followers of Jesus, um, and certainly this this ministry is is going to be a, about uh, bringing people to the table, no no matter where you are. You know, when when I when I came out again this last October as affirming of same sex marriage, same sex relationships uh, in covenant. Um, People uh, somehow thought that there would no longer be a place for anyone who uh, didn't agree with that when nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The truth is still the same as it always has been, uh, that everybody has a place at the table, and and we don't have to agree on on every uh, point in order to uh, share in that table fellowship uh, together. So uh, for people who
1: feel uh, called to a life of celibacy, whose commitment to God in the way that they live their lives uh, includes uh, living celibate, uh, come and be with us in Centerpiece and, and find a place at the table. Uh, if you are in a relationship, uh, if you are married to someone of the same sex, if you are in a mixed orientation marriage, uh, please know that you are welcome. Everybody's welcome at the table. And uh, it's, it's just about loving each other.
2: If you can explain that, the, the mixed orientation to our audience to make sure that they understand exactly what that means.
1: Well, for folks who grew up at an earlier time, especially, you know, when we say that that centerpiece is uh, a, a ministry that, yes, I have a a, a big heart for uh, reaching LGBTQ plus youth. Let's not forget. Uh, let's not forget the old timers like me. Let's not <laughs> forget my my peer group because. Uh,
2: you y'all still matter too a little bit, right?
1: Exactly. And and the truth <laughs> is, you know, I I know people in their 60s and and I'm about to join their ranks, uh, actually uh, in a in, in a short while. Uh, but in their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, who may have. Not ever been able to come out to their families, who have kept this secret all that time. Um, But in centerpiece, they have found a a place to belong. They found a family. They found a a seat at the table. And so, uh, some of them have lived a life uh, that looks like uh, what we were taught uh, back. In in the fifties and sixties and seventies, when we were growing up, and that is, well, you just uh, you just get married, and and those feelings will go away. You just you just go ahead and get married, and and those feelings will will vanish. And so, uh, a lot of people believed that. Uh, a lot of people uh, sincerely, you know, wanted to uh, do the right thing as they thought at the time, and so they married someone believing that those feelings would go away and they didn't. And so um, I know I know a few of those marriages that uh, have been able to make it and uh, do well and thrive and uh, and yet I know many uh, that have not made it that it has done a great deal of harm when that has not been able to be lived out in the ways that people were led to believe children who have been left in the wake of that. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite honestly that, that teaching that false, uh, expectation that these feelings will go away or, um, Somehow entering into that uh, type of relationship when you are not uh, attracted in the same ways that someone who is heterosexual would be has done a lot of a lot of harm to a yes. lot of sweet souls who trusted uh, a lot of false teaching. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's that's something that I, I want to because. We have as as long as you're willing to be be on this podcast with with us, because we've got several other questions uh, that I would I would I think is beneficial for the audience to hear. And uh, quite frankly, Lee and I both are. I'm loving this conversation. I can tell Lee is too. I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes, quite frankly. So uh, the way this is going, it may, it may be another 12 hours. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I mean that in all sincerity, because um, I think that this is your journey is so fascinating, but I, I think it's important for people to understand where it has led you because for many years you felt called to celibacy. And Mm -hmm. that was what you were taught. That is, I would say, probably the predominant view right now in a lot of Christian circles, especially probably pretty much every fundamental circle is if you are gay, which I think most people have accepted, as we've discussed earlier, that that is a reality that you don't choose that. That's who you are. If you are gay, well, you are called to celibacy. It's not a it's not a choice. Um, it, it's, it's something that you have to do. Uh, you, you have to, to be, you cel- know, you have to remain celibate. And that was something that you had, you had felt called to for a long time and believe for a long time. And just this past year, actually, you got married to your wife and you released your new book called affirming a memoir of faith, sexuality, and staying in the church. And we'll link this as well as any other links in the show notes. So that when this goes live, people are able to, to click that, to learn more, but how has your faith and beliefs changed over the years and what caused you to have that change and that conviction that you felt called to be celibate but then you you now are married and you are affirming and obviously you don't have any problem with it because you're married (laughs) so what has changed if you can just, and I know that that could probably be hours and hours, but yes. <laughs> if, if you could just kind of maybe hit some of the highlights of what happened, how, how did that transformation
3: take place?
1: Yeah. And, and not to do a, a shameless plug uh, for the book, although I will do a shameless plug for the book. <laughs>
0: do it. Kevin plugs his book all the time. So feel free, feel free.
1: Um, it's, Affirming is a book of stories. It's not an exegetical explanation of of scripture. I am not trained uh, to do that. I I can't do that. But what I realized um, is that my becoming affirming was a, a process and not a process over a few months, nor a few years, not even a few decades, but a lifetime. And I think that's the way it is for so many of us as we come to uh, a different season, if you will, in our, in our faith, uh, a different take on uh, our beliefs on certain things, uh, in the ways that we look at scripture. Um, you know, it's kind of a scary thing to say that, that scripture changes. Um, I don't think scripture changes. I think God is, is about changing us. And and giving us eyes to see things that maybe we didn't see before. Uh, you can't you can't read a passage of scripture uh, and have it say the same thing to you as it did when you read it when you were ten years old. You know, uh, I think it's it's scary for us to say it it changes, but to realize that. Um, reading the story of the prodigal son uh, when I was eleven, in no way means meant what it means to me today at fifty nine. Yeah, uh, and that's true for every story that that we could recall. And so, in that book, I simply try to share stories about how my faith has um, has evolved dare I use that term, over, over time, over a lifetime of experiences and, and being exposed uh, to different teaching, uh, to different uh, schools of thought, to different preaching, uh, never once being disconnected uh, from my faith, uh, never once being disconnected from the Church of Christ. You know that's that's an interesting part of the journey too. Is that? Oh yeah, I, yeah. That's super.
2: I, that's super interesting.
1: <laughs> but but I got where I am, which is uh, a member of a Church of Christ, uh, a believer in the the goodness. I can tell you all of our our junk, but I believe in the goodness <laughs> of of this body of of believers. And, and that's where I came to see scripture differently, not outside, not from somebody who, uh, corrupted me from outside our, our doors. But, um, I learned, I learned, uh, I learned what I know from, uh, folks that if I said their names, we all love and, and respect and, admire and listen to
0: well and it's incredible and i love the term that you use you said can i use the term dare i use the term evolving faith if your faith isn't constantly changing and really when your faith matures that's a process of change that's Mm -hmm. an evolution of your faith that's right and if your faith isn't changing which by in in and of itself will necessitate a a paradigm shift or at the very least a shifting of perspectives and one's convictions may change in that, maybe their convictions don't, but if your faith isn't constantly moving forward, if you're not constantly evaluating and reevaluating what you believe and why and how you approach the scriptures and the methodology by which one approaches the scriptures. And, and if we don't constantly reevaluate our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're not constantly you know, reevaluating our relationship, or reexamining our relationship with God and with Christ and with the Scriptures and with the Spirit and all of those things, our faith is stagnant. We're yes. really not growing at all. Yes, and in in Jujitsu, there's a saying. I do Jujitsu a lot, and I use the Jujitsu analogies on this podcast, but. In that moment, whenever you're in a, a grappling fight or a, or a battle or whatever else, you're either moving forward and advancing ground or you're losing ground. You're never neutral. You never stay in a neutral position. And it's the same thing with our spiritual growth and our spiritual journeys. Mm. If you're not growing and moving forward, you're not staying in one place. If, if you are staying in one place, that's not neutrality. That is the beginning of spiritual atrophy. Mm. And My wife and I were having this conversation about the Bible the other night, you know, so much has changed for us within the last three or four years in how we approach the scriptures and in our understanding of what the scriptures are and what they mean and how we parse them and how, how the truth is delivered through them and what that truth even is. And the idea that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, if it remains monolithic in what it teaches and it never changes, quote unquote, whatsoever, if our perspective never changes, well, then over a period of time and not too much time, it will cease to be it will cease to be relevant. It will lose its relevancy if it cannot be approached and engaged with and reimagined for the here and now in our generation and the shifting paradigms that our society and our culture experiences throughout time. Yeah. And so I would say that, yeah, you can use that term evolving faith. And I would even go further is to say that if your faith is not evolving, well, then there's probably a, a bigger problem at at play here. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, and the, the, the Bible has been, well, let me say this, regardless, anyone listening to this, this program right now, regardless of what your views are on this topic, or quite frankly, any topic that we may or may not discuss, the Bible has oftentimes been weaponized, and then later we have revisited it and, and decided, wait. We really abuse the Bible in this situation. Um, you know, I mean, let's let's take something such as interracial marriage. I mean that that's something. If you go back, well, even today, in some circles, in some churches, that's still not only frowned upon, but I personally know people who still believe because of their understanding of Scripture that that's wrong, that it's sinful. Now, I would dare say, probably a, a lot of Christians no longer believe that. But if you go back 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in time, uh, things are going to look quite different. And, you know, our my grandparents, my parents have definitely evolved in the way that they have understood a lot of different topics. And even this topic. A lot of Christians from my studies believed, as we've talked about repeatedly, that this was a choice—whether or not you're gay—is a choice. Now, those same people have looked at the evidence, they've reevaluated, it and said, "Well, no, it's not a choice. Uh, people, people are just gay." I think having humility in any conversation, especially when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with relationships and how to treat people and whether or not you know ha- how to look at people. The, the other, as we sometimes call on this show, that is so important. And that's something that I don't think ever changes. The way we view people, the way the spirit that Jesus taught how we are to love people and how we are to be respectful and kind, even if we don't agree. I mean, you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's that's a story that teaches us that it has to go beyond our religious views and we have to be fulfilling the greater law of loving our neighbor as ourself. Compassion yeah. supersedes the letter of the law. And those are the things that I don't think change, but all of these other things, we have to have humility. We, we have to be willing to say there's constantly new data. There's constantly new perspectives. There's things we haven't thought about. There's questions we haven't asked. And whenever we lose that, then we basically are claiming a sense of infallibility <laughs> that we've now have everything figured out. And so whether it's this issue or whatever issue it might be, we are all constantly changing. We're all wrestling with how to understand the Bible, how to, how to apply the Bible, how to approach the Bible. What are our expectations of the Bible? And what, it, what is sad to me not just on this issue, and by the way, I've been guilty of this too. So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody but myself. We have oftentimes oversimplified and overextended the Bible, and in doing so, we've abused it. Mm. And we have domesticated we have we we've domesticated the Bible. We've modernized the Bible to try to almost make it like a fortune cookie. You know, let's crack it open and let's see what it says. <laughs> and th- there's so much more to it. It's it's so contextually layered that. Even people who disagree with you are hopefully willing to engage the information. And even if they still disagree with you, they're still willing to love you, really, really love you. And that is something that you have constantly demonstrated throughout Centerpiece, which is why I think so many people feel welcome there. They feel like, hey, I can disagree with Sally, but I can still find a community of support. I can still go to seminars. I can still go to retreats and I can still learn. I I can still, and I can teach, I can encourage, I can be encouraged. And I wanted to ask you, how do you respond to that popular dichotomy that many Christians have created between faith, between being faithful to God and being in a relationship with someone of the same sex? Um, whether it's in just a dating relationship or whether it's in a marital
1: relationship. Well, I think it it comes from uh, everything that you two have just uh, expounded upon and explained uh, so well uh, about how we how we can look at at scripture differently. Um, that's certainly a part of my journey, but also wrapped up in that is um, my own personal experience uh, of knowing myself and, and knowing my own sincere desire to live a life that's, that's pleasing to God. And so some people will will hear that and say, "Well, you just you just uh, made scripture say what you wanted it to say, then, so you could do what you wanted to do." And and I I understand that. Um, I think you you would have to know more of my experience in my lifetime of of wrestling uh, the constant internal. Uh, cognitive dissonance that I have felt and anyone who is LGBTQ+ plus and Christian feels uh, trying to resolve faith and, and our sexuality. So it's it's not that simple. But for me, it's also uh, learning more about uh, what it means to have a different sexual orientation. Uh, to learn uh, more about the physiological aspects of that, uh, that we have no control over, uh, that make uh, being gay much more than just um, being attracted to the same sex. Um, It goes much, much deeper than that. It's a a way of, of relating to the world, of experiencing the world, of, of uh, being able to be in relationship with someone of of the same sex, and and it's also uh, how you relate to the opposite sex and and the the very natural draw that takes place with someone of the same sex. Um, it's I I suppose I I'm not heterosexual, but I suppose it is very much the same. Same thing that someone who is heterosexual goes through in in learning how to be yourself uh, in in the world, and hopefully you have really good guides in that, and you have a, a church family that. Uh, Uh, affirms your identity very early on in a a family of origin that affirms your identity very early on and teaches you how to be in relationship uh, as God calls us to, which which I believe scripture points to much more uh, being about fidelity and faithfulness and covenant and uh, self-sacrificial love. Uh, than it is about uh, the gender of the two people involved. That language, if, if you look at it in Genesis 1 through 3, that I, I do believe speaks a lot uh, to how uh, marriage is, is so very uh, vital uh, to our lives. It uh, talks about, uh, it, it's the language of kinship there and, and forming a family unit that has less to do with, uh, opposite sexes being involved for that to work, but, uh, about, uh, the ability to form kinship and provide companionship for one another. It's, it's always interesting to me. And I write about this. It's, it's one of the, the stories that I tell because I had a, uh, a whole weekend retreat conversation with one of my favorite people in the world who happens to be a Bible professor. And uh, I spent a weekend with him and his wife, and and we talked about this very conversation about, you know, uh, if, if Genesis 1 through 3 is controlling, if that guides the whole our whole understanding of marriage and relationships and, and sexuality and gender. How do we leave out what God says in chapter 2 that is, that is so important to me when he says, when he's deciding that Adam doesn't need to be alone and he's uh, wanting to create someone, he, he realizes that he's not enough. God's not enough. Adam needs somebody with skin on. Like we said at the top of this podcast, sometimes you just need Jesus with skin on. You need a a real human being. And God himself realized that. And God breathed into us this need for companionship, this need for kinship to uh, leave mother and father and, and cling to this person who is your person, for life, and and when you uh, when you look at the words of God that that say it's not good for for man for humankind to be alone, what are we going to do with that? I mean, even if you don't agree with anything else, what do you, what are we going to do with that that verse? Yeah, that claims to be the the voice of God saying it, it's not good. When God says something is not good, that means we have to pay attention to that. So I, I've asked yes. many of my my brethren. What are we going to do with that? Because we got a lot of folks out there who are single. Maybe they're not gay at all, uh, but they're single. And God said, it's not good for us to be alone. What are we going to do? Traditionally, we don't know what to do with anybody who's alone. Uh, I got to a point where uh, a potluck and hugs, although they're wonderful on Sunday mornings and, and I can't wait till this pandemic is clearly over and we can all just go back to hugging
0: a man sister.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I still got in my car and went home alone.
3: Hmm. Yeah. And
1: uh, I, I think there's something to that. We've got to reexamine, at the very least, what we do uh, for people who find themselves alone through no, quote, fault, unquote, of their own.
0: Well, and without going too far into the theology on it, because I know that's not really the a, a thread that we really wanted to pull in this episode, but this whole idea of, of, of being gay and one sexuality not being a choice and with there being you know evidence of different things that can happen in utero that takes place within research and within you know the fields of embryology and physiology and and endocrinology and things of that nature as it relates to fetal development hormones etc yep you know if this is the way that we are made And I am made the way that I am with, you know, all my flaws and everything else. And this is who I am. And God accepts me for that. God didn't make a mistake in making me and in making me who I am. Mm -hmm. And if God doesn't make mistakes and I don't believe he does, I think that we can serve him fully and completely warts and all flaws and all. It doesn't matter what our flaws are, whatever they are. If it's okay for me, who still has a problem with anger. Who still has a problem? You know, if someone cuts me off in traffic, I want to run them off the road, drag them out of the car, and beat them to death with a tire iron.
2: Right, with I mean, your brother. It's... <laughs> <laughs> that Remind me as... to never uh, road trip with with either <laughs> one yeah. of you. Yeah,
0: well, and, and Sally, that that as as. Oh my goodness! I mean, your demeanor—that doesn't—that really takes me by surprise there. No, but okay, like, I'll like welcome it. I feel like I I'm a good you like, now. Like, Stop
3: it.
2: <laughs> <it>.
3: Sally would <laughs> be like, Dallas
1: "Hey,
2: you, you want me to go and you know get you some lunch or something?" That's what I figured Sally <laughs> yeah. would say. Here, I'll, I'll buy like, you a new car. Sally
0: will say, "Hey, I'll distract him. You sneak up behind me, pop him in the back of the head." <laughs> but no, I mean, if if, if God can accept me yeah. with those flaws, then even if we were to suppose. That it's sinful, even if we did there's no doubt that my anger is sinful there's no doubt that racism is sinful there's no doubt that those are things that are harbored deeply within a a mode of thinking or a way of being that is not in tune with a loving neighbor as myself yeah. and if we're going to say that because you love someone in a romantic way differently or someone who's of a different gender if all of your racism is, is okay. And we're not going to worry about that. And if you want to you know, beat the dude that cut you off in traffic to death with a tire iron, and that's something that we can overlook and you're just okay. Well then why is that hate? Okay. Whenever love isn't, yeah. I mean, and, and from my perspective, love always wins, but in that, in that mode of thinking with that being said, the idea of man being alone. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to that. And if, That is, if Genesis is our core philosophy that we pursue or that we utilize in order to make the case that, you know, heterosexual marriage is the only thing that God had in mind between one man and one woman. Well, then, and this is a rhetorical question, we don't even have to get into this, but what do we do with Abraham who had not only Sarah, but Sarah's handmaidens? What do we do with um with, uh, Jacob who had Leah and Rachel, what do we do right. with David and his wives and concubines? What do we do with Solomon and his 700 plus concubines? What do we do with all of that? You know, oh,
2: that's, we, that's all, that's all old Testament Lee. We can just ignore that <laughs> uh, no. except, except, except for Adam and Eve. And then we, uh, but no, and, and Lee, you're making phenomenal points and like and Lisa we'll get into that
0: and, in another podcast, but I just, I wanted yeah. to, to kind of well, pull that thread that you tugged on a little bit. Sister.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I want to add just a couple of more points too, and we will, we promise our audience, we will get into the theology of this in a later episode. Um, we, we want to make sure that we do our due diligence um, when we do have that episode uh, out, but so, something that, both Yuli and Sally have touched upon is when you look at certain Bible passages and you overextend them to try to create this whole theology, it may sound good on paper, but pragmatically it leaves a lot to be desired. And, you know, if if you look at the idea of celibacy, which was absolutely unheard of, um, uh, you know, when you look at the uh, the, the the ancient world and so In Matthew 19, when Jesus is talking about keeping your vows and divorce without moral grounds and things of that nature, the disciples, I think, sarcastically say, well, if that's the case, it's just better not to get married at all. And Jesus says, well, yeah, there are some where it may be best not to marry at all, which would have actually been considered a liberal idea, and I'm putting liberal in quotations because the idea that you didn't necessarily have to have a family went against what a lot of the Old Testament taught, because for them, it was a procreative society. I mean, that you, you were to get married and you were to have children, and especially coming from the, the Jewish understanding, that's how you made other Jews, was by having children. And so the fact that Jesus was teaching this other idea, this new idea that, no, you don't have to get married, but here's the thing, Jesus allowed that to be an option never once do we read of forced celibacy in scripture. Sometimes people choose it for the kingdom's sake, not for their own sake, not for the soul, uh, not for their quote unquote soul's sake. They do it for the kingdom's sake. And Paul deals with that too. He says, hey, I wish that some of you would be like me. And I think that's even situationally posited there. But Even within that context, Paul goes on to explain, but this is a choice. And I think about telling someone who, if if you're looking at someone who's gay and you go, well, you don't have to remain uh, celibate. You don't have to. You can be married to someone of the opposite sex, but you just won't be attracted to them. Well, Paul says that it's better to marry than it is to burn. And one of one of the elements we see within marriage is it's a it's an outlet to be able to enjoy a sexual relationship. And it's it's not a concession. it's it's a, a privilege. it's an honor. It's something that you're able to enjoy. And if you are married to someone, you're not literally physically attracted to at all. I'm not denying, you know, anybody's relationships out there who they may be married to someone and maybe they're gay and yet they chose to marry someone of the opposite sex. But I, I would be curious to know what kind of sexual outlet you have there and what what's going through your mind if you're gay um, you know, during that, during that process. And I don't say that to be ugly or mean or rude or anything of that nature, but these are a lot of, of brass tacks questions that when it gets down to it, it's easy to make these general statements and to put memes out there and, you know, try to make your point. But when you really get down to it, there's a lot, there's a lot of questions and it's layered. And we have to be willing to look at this, not just from one perspective of the Bible says that that settles it, but the Bible says it. What does that mean? How do I understand it? And how do I apply it? That <laughs> there's there's so much more to it than that. And that the point I wanted to bring up in all of that is just the fact that never do we read of someone being forced to remain celibate at all. You you have the choice. There's and by the way, there are some people, and they're not gay, they just don't need to get married, you know, there, there are just some people out there and they don't want to be married. I know several people who've never been married. They don't have a desire to, to be married. Um, and for those people, it is better for them not to marry because what kind of relationship is that going to be if they do decide to get married? It's probably not going to be a very beneficial one uh, for the for their spouse. It's probably not going to be very healthy. But what about the individual who does love? What about the individual who does crave and need that companionship? to tell them your option is you can remain unmarried the rest of your life or you can be married to someone you're not even attracted to does that sound Christ like does does that even make sense and that's where you have to start looking is this a is this dry religion I'm following or Am I really understanding who Jesus is and am I following Jesus? Sorry, I didn't mean to get on that tangent. There's a lot more we could we could say on that, but I just wanted to expound a little bit further because I think that is such a good point that we have to consider when we're talking about this.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Just just save the rest of it for uh, for that one episode that we'll do, or maybe two that we'll do in the future where we'll get into some of those theological constructs and some of those theological points. Um, but no, I, I, and I agree with you, man. I mean, this is one of those conversations that is not, there, there's so many layers to it. It's not an easy yes. conversation.
3: That's exactly and Sally, right.
0: one of the things I appreciate is how easy or how much easier you make it because your entire demeanor is just, you're like the human embodiment of lavender, You're just you're just You really are. You're like in my in
1: my in my best moments, yes. But uh yes, you haven't ridden with me yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well maybe we'll road trip sometime, (laughs) but uh but I mean, this has been just a wonderful conversation and I, I'm so thankful that you've come on and that you've shared your story with us. And if you would, as we get ready to wrap this up, is there anything that you really, really, really want to share with our audience? Is there anything, any other points that you want to make or any talking points that you wanted us to touch on, but we weren't able to? Um, please, you know, share anything else that you'd like to share and take a few minutes to plug centerpiece let us know you know where where our listeners can find more information about that and tell us where where our folks can order your books if they're so inclined
1: oh yeah um i i want you guys to know this this has been uh just delightful to be with you tonight and i i yeah uh, we have so much more to talk about i could talk to you all night long Uh, So thank you for this opportunity and and just thanks thanks for your hearts and your graciousness to open this conversation and um, create some more safe places uh, for folks who are out there. You know, I always want to say to anybody, um, uh, any of my LGBTQ plus siblings who are out there who are thinking, there is no place for me within uh, maybe uh, the, uh, the tribe of my youth. Uh, maybe give that another thought. Maybe, maybe there is. Um, we certainly have a, a place uh, within Centerpiece to, to give you a place to belong. But uh, most importantly, don't give up on God. Don't give up on faith. Um, We have lots of ways to help, and I would love to have the chance to just visit with you, if nothing else. uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone, and I would love to talk to you if you want to talk. So um, go to centerpiece.net, and that's c e n t e r. P-E-A-C-E, as in peaceman from the 60s, um, (laughs) dot net. And you can find all kinds of resources there, uh, a reading list, uh, different events that we do. We host uh, spiritual formation retreats for LGBTQ Christians. We have one coming up in November in the Nashville area, and we would love for you to join us. Uh, Couples are welcome to that. Uh, Side B people, uh, side B meaning people who are committed to celibacy. um, All of us uh, who identify as LGBTQ plus. We have uh, retreats for parents and we've got one coming up also in the Nashville area in October. And um, anybody, uh, whether your child has just come out or your child's been out and is no longer a child, uh, come one, come all, and let's uh, let's support each other and learn from one another. There are always new parents who need to hear from uh, parents who are down the road a little bit farther. We'll have a, our big conference coming up in 2022, and I hope that you guys might join us on our uh, podcast stage. Uh, We'll just invite you right here and now to to be a part of that. I would love to see you there and maybe do something live, uh, but that will be somewhere in Dallas in October of 2022. Uh, Stay connected with us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram, and you can learn more about some of the uh, resources that we have there. We have a wonderful group of parents who are available to chat, to email, uh, however is most comfortable for you. We'll meet you for dinner, too, if uh, you're in our area. So I've, I've also been known to fly a place or two. So uh, we'll do that, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to uh, help us stay connected to God more than anything else. Um, this is-
0: Oh, sorry wow. about that. I got my attention. Hey,
1: that's, that's all good. Uh, hey. That's Rudy He's putting in his personal plug for centerpiece as well. The book hard. Rudy, <laughs> sorry about this.
0: That's okay. I should be able to take that out in post. Well, sister, once again, thank you so much for being on our program. Oh, Kevin, did you have something?
2: Yeah, yeah. I no, I just, I just wanted to say one more thing too to the audience listening. And Sally, I brought this up before, but just something else I really want to point out and commend you for is and to me, this is where you really shine because I have talked to to quite a few people who hold the position that if someone is not affirmative, then they're not loving not, and not
1: affirming. Yes, okay. yes.
2: and so um, so they they make the argument that if someone believes they have to be celibate, then, uh, then they're actually wrong and, and they, they really don't love their, uh, their LBGTQ plus siblings. And what I really appreciate about you is you don't create that dichotomy or that polarization, that you allow people to to have that conviction that disagrees with yours while still welcoming them. And I just think it's so important for people listening to this podcast to know, regardless of your conviction, the main thing that matters is love and the way that we treat one another, despite disagreements. That's, that's really what matters. And, uh, and I just really appreciate that about you, that mm-hmm. you're not trying to create even further dichotomies of you're either with us or you're, you're against us, that you, you don't see us versus them. And that was something that I was actually taught that, well, everyone who's gay, believes that if you're not walking in parades behind them and completely affirming what they're doing, then, you know, you just don't love them and they, you know, quote unquote, they believe that you have to see things just like them. That's simply not true. And that's why I appreciate you because you exemplify and you refute that, that false dichotomy uh, that sometimes is created. And so I want people to know, regardless of their conviction, Sally is there for you and wherever you may be, and we're here for you, wherever you may be. We're, our podcast is trying to engage conversation, not disengage it. We're wanting to build bridges and not burn them. And yeah. Sally, you fit right into what we're all about and what we're trying to do and um, just allow that open conversation among everyone, not just those who see things like we do.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, Kevin.
0: Well, thank you, sister, for coming on. Thank you for giving us almost two hours of your time. We know you're incredibly busy, so we'll go ahead and and wrap it up now. So thank you again. Everyone, check out uh, Sister Sally's books. um, We will have links to those in the show notes. You can check that out. We'll have a link to Centerpiece in the show notes as well. Um, once again, thank you all for listening. This podcast is what it is because you guys have listened. You guys have shared this with others. And you're obviously getting something out of it because our numbers keep going up every month. Little by little, we're growing and we have all of you to thank for it. So thank you all so much. We love and appreciate every one of you. If you have any questions, any concerns, any needs at all, if you are a LGBTQ plus Christian and you feel alone and you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to, Centerpiece is a wonderful wonderful resource for you. You can even reach out to Kevin. You can reach out to me and we would love to chat with you. Um, You are safe with us. We love you. We appreciate you. And for all of our listeners, we love and appreciate you dearly. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and join our Facebook discussion group. We'd love to have you join the conversation. Thank you all so much and have a good night.